0: Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, but in order to keep it in context, I will begin reading at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as any one had need. So continuing daily with one accord in, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you remember, in Acts chapter 2, began with the day of Pentecost. And this was the day that Jesus had promised uh, to his disciples because it was on this day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill all those who had repented of their sin and and made Jesus their Lord and Savior. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preached his first sermon and it was magnificent. It was both a difficult message and a glorious message that Peter spoke to the people on that day. Emotions were running high. The excitement of the holy spirit coming down and filling the faithful christians in the upper room the multitudes accusing them of drunkenness which was very insulting and peter for the first time spoke with boldness and fluidity that was the power of the holy spirit within him what a strange feeling that had to have been for him yet the confidence with which he spoke was astounding even the people noticed and they responded and they repented. Emotions, yes. The overwhelming joy of the salvation and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 42, it says, those who were gladly received his word and they wanted to be baptized, which was the outward expression of the inward work of Christ within them because they, they had, were dead to their old life of sin And they were raised up in Christ, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, just as the word of God says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so, 3,000 souls were added to the 120, and the church was born. This was the beginning of a new era in world history, and you will not find the word church in the Old Testament. This is something that was unique, and it is because Jesus rose from the dead. The church is the creation of God, and Jesus is the head of the church. It is his church. And remember, the church is not a building. The church is comprised of the people, with Jesus being the head and we the people, his body. And from that first moment on the day of Pentecost, the world was forever changed. The church has continued to exist for more than 2000 years, and it will continue to exist you cannot ignore the church. You cannot dismiss the church. Matthew said or Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If Jesus is in charge, then you cannot disregard it. The direct result of the 3100 people who are now the church is found in verse 42. Let me read it for you again. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is a perfect template of what the church should look like even today. So let's break it down. The first thing is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, or their teaching. They devoted themselves to to learning, and learning from the apostles what the Lord Jesus had taught them. And what specifically were the apostles teaching? Well, on another day, soon after this event, Peter will be... uh, speaking to the crowds following a miraculous healing. And he will say this in Acts chapter four, verse 10. Let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. What was he teaching? He was teaching Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 24, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul describes his message. And again, it's consistent. All of the apostles preached Jesus. They taught the things that Jesus taught. They taught the scriptures. um, And they were consistent with the gospel testimony of Jesus Christ. But let me read this passage out of Corinthians for you, and I think it's very instructive. It begins this way, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he continues in chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is the message that, uh, the, like I said, the apostles continue to preach throughout the New Testament scriptures. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Listen to the counsel that the apostle Paul gave to a young pastor by the name of P- Timothy, who will later take over the ministry of uh, that Paul left behind when, when Paul was martyred for his faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 Paul wrote this uh, to Timothy that you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Pastor John Stott once observed, they sat at the apostles' feet, hungry to receive instruction, and they persevered in it. Moreover, the teaching authority of the apostles to which they submitted was authenticated by miracles, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. In fact, it has been observed that from the beginning, the early church was devoted to hearing, studying, and learning what the apostles had to teach. The second thing that was taking place in this new church body was fellowship the uh, greek word is koinia and it's the fellowship of the body of christ is something that is experienced only by those who are in christ because it is connected to the power of the holy spirit this fellowship this koinia fellowship this how we love one another it bears witness to the common life of the church in two senses first it expresses what we shared in together, our, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. But secondly, it also expresses what we share out together, that testimony, what we give as well as what we receive. Later in verse 44, it says that they were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Once again, John Stott observes, as John was to later write, it had, if we have material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but do not share what we have with him or her, how, how can we claim that God's love dwells in us? Christian fellowship is Christian caring, and Christian caring is Christian sharing. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we say that we love one another and love Jesus, this will be evidenced in how we care for one another. But this caring is not just about the giving of finances or the giving of things. It is also about giving our time and our care, just like Jesus did. In Romans chapter 15, verses one through seven, the apostle Paul wrote this. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And one other thing about this Koinia Fellowship, it was, it was the fellowship being together as a church community, as brethren, as friends, not, not consistently independently, but as much as, as is possible, we gather together. That's why we have church buildings, so that the body of Christ can gather together and, and enjoy that sweet Koinia Fellowship together. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the uh, scripture says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's face it, we need each other. We need to be encouraged by one another. We need to be the encourager of those who perhaps are are struggling or, or sorrowful. We need to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. And as we come together, and we lift our songs of praise together, and we and we learn uh, from the scriptures that are being shared, God is in the midst and it is sweet and it is good. And it is something that cannot be replaced or substituted in any other way. The third aspect that we have here in in verse 42 is it, it's called the breaking of bread. It, it's a little bit twofold. It, it, yes, it was the fellowship at the table. Let's face it, we love to get together and sit down at the table and, and enjoy a meal and visit and share. But this, this uh, for the Greek uh, um, original language is, is directly uh, indicating that this is speaking about the participation of what we call the communion service where we remember the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, where Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we need to remember that the breaking of bread, this communion service, is more than just going through the ritual of the Lord's Supper. It means being brought into a fellowship and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is important that we remember. It is is important that we declare. And it becomes, the communion becomes a sweet opportunity to just once again, to pause and reconnect with our Lord and Savior, just that that recommitment of our our confession of faith and our confession of love to him. The fourth aspect that we see in this church body, this new church body, was that they continued steadfastly in prayers. This is prayers both independently and prayers corporately. I find it very interesting that uh, a pastor in uh, of a church in Brooklyn, New York, uh, his name is Jim Simbala, once observed that the attendance at the weekly prayer meeting is the true measure of the church and not the attendance on Sunday morning. And I have found that to be true. You can have a lot of people on a Sunday morning, but those who really are serious? Who seeking God, seeking His intercession, seeking His power, seeking His um, His help? They will be found at the prayer meeting. Doctor Ironside uh, wrote, "Prayer is an expression of dependence, and when the people of God really freely, really feel." their need, you will find them flocking together to pray. I think we found that true, we find that true whenever there's a disaster that happens in a country or in a community, what's the first thing people do? They want to pray, they want to gather together and pray. Ironside continues, a neglected prayer meeting indicates very little recognition of one's true need the early believers continued steadfastly in prayer, and the outsiders noticed it. So even in this, even in the prayer meetings, it becomes a testimony to those who are watching. We know that the Apostle Paul observed and depended on the prayers of God's people. In fact, at the conclusion of his teaching on the spiritual armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, the spiritual armor that we must have in order to live faithful lives in the midst of a hostile world, Paul said that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see right here, prayer is so valuable, so necessary. And in fact, it is, it is commended. We see, we remember that Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, would often go off alone and pray many times throughout the night. He would pray, and if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we? We see him even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is, Son of God, on his knees, petitioning heaven with sweat and tears and uh, for the strength to go forward and, and for the strength to yield his will to the will of the Father. Prayer, yes, prayer is comforting. Prayer is connecting with God. But prayer is also aligning our will with God's will, surrendering our will before his authority, leaning on him trusting in him, and even, yes, praising him because he is good and he always hears and answers the prayers of his people. You remember, I'm sure, if you've heard it at all, the promise of God to Solomon and to all who trust God in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14 where God says, if my people, and of course we need to make that qualifier, it's God's people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes, we must seek him. We must pray. And we must have repentant hearts. And God promises to hear and to answer. So we have four things that's known as the four pillars of the church. And I again say, it was true then, it should be true now. It's doctrine, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And this new church of 3,100 people, 20 people, were consistent in their worship and in their fellowship. They were worshiping daily in the temple and at home as well. It was formal and informal. And, and this new church was faithful to obey the command and commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he had said, given 10 days earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Pastor James Boyce wrote this, The way God reaches people is through the spoken word and that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, those who received the Spirit immediately began to speak about Jesus. They knew that they were only channels for what God was doing, only means to the end that God himself had determined. So they did not say we are building the church, but rather the Lord added to our number daily those who are being saved. I would like to briefly make two more points from verse 42. It says uh, that the apostle's teaching and message were confirmed by many wonders and signs, and I want to point out that the focus was the message of the cross and not the wonders and signs. I think sometimes people get a little confused about this. But in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve it says the things that Mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. It was it was the signs that confirmed that this one speaking was sent by God and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was confirmation, but the focus was on the message, and the message is about Jesus Christ. In Acts two twenty two, it says Jesus, Jesus was also attested by signs and wonders. It, it says, men, uh, Peter said, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by... Miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So again, the signs and wonders were the confirmation that this person that you're listening to is speaking because they are sent by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Second thing is that fear came over every soul. Fear, the shock of what was taking place, The glory of what God had done and was doing. It had been just six weeks since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The people there had most probably seen and heard the teaching of Jesus and the miracles he had performed. Maybe they themselves had been healed or knew someone personally who had. There had been more than 500 eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And I'm sure many were there in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost. Yes, fear. But it was a holy fear of the awesome power and glory of God. Let me ask you today, what do you fear? What makes you tremble? We live in a world that is... uh, It's easy to to become fearful if we do not have our eyes fixed on Jesus. But let me assure you that God is still mighty today. And you can fully put your trust in Him. He cares about you. He knows you. He knows your story. And He loves you deeply. He promises that he will hear and answer your prayer if you earnestly cry out to him with a sincere heart. He will hear your cry. He will hear your fears. He will not rebuke, but he will draw near to you, and he will say to you what he has said in his word in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. He said, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And in fact, one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples is found in Matthew chapter 28, the last verse, where he said, "Truly, I am with you always, even to the end of the age and our Lord Jesus Christ always keeps his promises. You can trust him. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this wonderful plan for the Church of Jesus Christ, that you have called us to be your witnesses, that you have made us your children, that you have privileged us with the calling of being your servants, Lord, what a beautiful example this first church set for us, O Lord, in how they continued steadfastly in, in the teaching of uh, the scriptures and the fellowship of the body and remembering Christ through communion and in prayer. They were faithful to, to be a testimony and witness to the world then. And, and through the scriptures, they continued to be a testimony and witness to us. And I pray, O Lord, that we would just grab hold of this testimony and that we would apply it to our lives. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would become so real in our lives that we can't help but speak about it. With the joy of the Lord, that is our strength. I just pray, Lord, that you would pour out that joy and that gift of faith to those who are listening today. And I ask this in the name of Jesus our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may our great God and Savior richly bless you.